My name is uh, Jordan Huggins. For those of you guys who don't know me, I'll be uh, preaching the sermon this morning. Uh, Pastor Jade and Jonathan are out today, but they send their greetings. Uh, miss you guys. Pastor Jonathan will be back with us next week. I think he'll be preaching the word as well. Um, but both of them are out, and both, both of them just, I know they're probably missing everybody this morning. So um, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Before that, I do that, just a couple logistical items. So one is, um, we are continuing doing these, uh, the 9 o'clock and the 10.30 service. Um, from now, moving on forward, uh, or for the foreseeable future anyways. So just know that, um, you know, and we're also live streaming this service, the 10.30 service. So uh, just know that if you can't make one of these services, that it will be live streamed for you. Um, and the second thing is, this is kind of, kind of bittersweet, but for those of you who don't know, my wife Alyssa and I are actually moving at the end of September. We'll be moving to California. So I got, I'm, as you guys, many of you guys know, I'm in the Air Force. Um, I got orders to, to California, so we're headed out that way end of September, which is uh, super, super bittersweet for us. It's great that, I mean, we're going to get to do what, what I want to do, what we want to do, but uh, at the same time, we're leaving we're leaving family and friends and all that stuff behind. Um, the uh, we'll, we'll be back, though. We've So I've been here since 2006, and Alyssa's been here for a lot longer than that. Um, obviously, most of our family's here, so we're going to be back. It's, it's, it's not a matter of if, but when we'll be come, coming back this way. So, um, But, yeah, I just wanted to, to kind of let you guys in. We've got several more weeks left, obviously, before that happens. But uh, we're gearing up, getting ready for that, and that should be a lot of fun. But, again, like I said, kind of sad. So 2 Corinthians 12 is where we're going to start off. We're actually doing really good on time, so we might be wrapping up a little early today. We'll see. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you go with to verse, so we're going to start in verse 6. This is Paul writing to the, the church in Corinth. He says, even if I should boast, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, right? Obviously, Paul's bringing a lot of great messages to that church, but he's saying, you know what? I'm not going to boast in all that I've brought you before. He says this, therefore, in order order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're going to use this passage, but that last phrase is kind of a launching off point for us this morning. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And if I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest, like I've heard that, I think I've heard this verse my whole life and repeated that phrase a few times definitely in my life. I don't even know. I don't think I ever really knew what that meant. And I imagine many of you might be confused by it. Like that's it's a bit of a paradoxical statement, right? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Like, Paul, man, not making sense, bro. Like, this doesn't make any sense. So we're going to dive into that a little bit this morning and kind of discover what, what I think that might mean, or at least a part of what I think that might mean. So just to give you a little bit of background on this. So Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. It's a, it's a city right in the, in the um, 
ancient Near East world. Um, and he's written actually four letters that we know of to the Corinthians church. And he actually probably has one of the most storied histories uh, with this church. He's, he, there's just a lot, of, a lot of past baggage, we'll say, with, these, with this church and with this city. And he's, so he's writing, this is the, probably the third time he's written to them. We have two of those letters, right? First and second Corinthians. We're missing the other two. Um, so he's writing to them, but he's writing them sp- for a specific reason. And that is, in that church of Corinth, there's been these opponents that have kind of risen up to Paul's message. Some detractors, if you will, to Paul's message. And they're, they're, one of their main points is, is you know, basically they're, they're levying all kinds of accusations at Paul. But one of their main points is, this guy, like, if this guy is who he says he is, how could he possibly be suffering as much as he is? They're saying basically this guy suffered way too much to be blessed and the child of God and uh, to be this apostle that he says he is and to have this message of Christ that he says he is. This, this guy's like, there's no way. Clearly, this guy is not blessed. He's been beaten. He's been put in prison. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by snakes. There's no way this guy is who he says he is. And that's kind of a familiar it's kind of a familiar sentiment for our, our American culture, right? Like weakness was not good then for them, and weakness is not good now for us. Like weakness just doesn't, it doesn't fit in with the American life, does it? Like we're about strength, we're about power, we're about independence, we're about self-sufficiency, right? Self-help, that whole thing. And yet Paul's saying here, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. So we're going to dig into that a little bit this morning. I think, I think the other thing, too, to think about, that idea of, like, strength and independence, it's, it's also, if we think about it, it's seeped into the church a little bit. Like, when I, when I grew up, like, John 3.16, that, that was the scripture, like, we plastered on just about everything, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, right? We all memorized it in, in Sunday school, and we just put it on everything. Now, what's the, what's the verse we all kind of quote? now. It's Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Both really good verses, not preaching against the Bible here, but you can, can you see the, can you see the subtle shift? Like we got people putting Philippians 4.13 on their shoes, on their sneakers. They're putting it, athletes are putting it on their little, I couldn't think of this, this thing in the last service, and I can't think of it now. The, the sunshade things, the football players, you know what I'm talking about. They got Philippians 4.13 on their, on their shade. It's become like a part of our mantra as the church, this idea of strength that I can do all things through, through him who gives me strength. And again, nothing wrong. That's a totally true statement. But do you see that subtle shift, that how that independence, that self-sufficiency has kind of crept even into the American church a little bit? And this, it's kind of a prevailing issue too like it it it's one of the unifying forces in culture like you you can have like the uh the hipster vegan that lives in like seattle washington and like the the f-350 gun-toting republican that 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 lives in like texas somewhere and both of them are all going to be about self-sufficiency they just differ on their opinion of the role of meat in their strength (laughs) right like if you look at their Instagram feeds, it's going to be the same thing. I don't suffer. I'm good. I'm successful. I'm put together. Hashtag too stressed to be ble- too blessed to be stressed. Yeah, that's it. Right? There's this independence, this self-sufficiency, this 
kind of strength culture, I'll call it, that has sort of seeped into the American way of life. This is, many of you guys know I'm, I'm an Air Force chaplain, and this is, this is one of my biggest struggles as an Air Force chaplain. Like, it's not, it's not the people who are coming to me for help that are dealing with, like, disease and anxiety and depression and suicidality. It's not those people that I'm worried about. It's the people that don't come to me for help, right? It's the people who are dealing with all those things, but they're just grinning and bearing it. They're just going about their business. They're going about business as usual. It's those people that I really worry about. So our theme this morning, what we're going to be talking about is is this, simply this. The stronger we think we are, the less we need God and the less we need each other. That's not a good place to be. Titled the sermon, Strength Through Weakness, using that, for when I am weak, then I am strong. We're going to be talking about what it means to embrace weakness this morning. Before I do that, I just want to give a quick, quick caveat, a quick aside for us this morning. Um, Something that just keep in your back of your mind as we're going through this. And and, and that is simply this. Weakness is not the same thing as sin. Say that again. Weakness is not the same thing as sin. It's really, really important for us to remember that. And the best best illustration is is the, the, the ancient story of Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve, you know, you all know the story, put in this garden, God plants this tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And he says, you know what? That's, that's off limits to you guys. That's, you can have everything else you want. You won't lack in anything, but you'll lack that. That's not something I want. There's your boundary. And it's not that they lacked knowledge of good and evil. That was the sin. It's what they, how they responded to that lack that caused them to sin, right? Then you, all of a sudden you saw covetousness and and pride well up in them, right? Because they were like, well, wait a minute, we've got all this stuff. You're saying we can't have that? That's our limitation over there? We want that then. And that's, I mean, that is, talk about a very familiar American sentiment, right? Like we, we don't, we don't do well with things we can't have. Like we really don't do well when people say we can't have certain things. So just remember that, as, keep that in mind, that weakness, it can, it can lead to sin, and it often does. I would say it sometimes does, but it's not the same thing. Just because we lack something, that's not a fault. That's not a flaw. That just is something that we don't have in our quiver, if you will. So we're going to be talking about why, why is it important to embrace weakness? Why, why is it important to embrace weakness? So point number one is simply this. It's, it completes our worship. It completes our worship. Bracing weakness completes our worship. What do, we mean, what do I mean by that? Well, the way that I see it, I think worship is somewhat twofold. There's sort of two sides to worship, if you will. The one side, which I think we're more familiar with, although we could learn a lot from, is the side of gratitude that our worship is filled with, with thankfulness. It's, a, it's a, the acknowledgement of what we have, right, or what we've been given by God. And so we're thankful to God, and we express our thankfulness to God in many, many different ways. And this, this heart of gratitude that wells up in our worship. And as we walk through the Christian life, or we come to church service like this, part of our worship is just merely saying thanks to God for what he's given us, right? Does that make sense? And honestly, I mean, we could probably, I mean, I could preach an entire sermon just on that if I wanted to, because there's a lot that we could learn as Americans about being thankful for what we have, because we have a lot. 
But I would say the other side of worship, another side of worship, maybe not the only other side of worship, but another side of worship is this idea of devotion. Devotion. And I'm devoted to God because I know that I need him. Because I know that I need him. And it's, it's, it's this acknowledgement that I am lacking certain things. I am weak in certain things. I don't have the things I need. So I am devoted to God because he provides those things that I need in different, many different ways. So embracing the things that we lack actually completes our worship because we don't just walk around being thankful and, and gratitude. And that's a great, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's a great place to be if you're a thankful person. Like that's, that's very, very good. But it also completes our worship on the other side in that we, we're now not just thankful for what we have, we're acknowledging what we lack and why we need God and why we need others. We're going to get to that in a second. It's the second part of this message is why we need others. The second reason why it's important to embrace weakness is that it keeps us from idolatry. Keeps us from idolatry, which is a terrible, terrible word. It's a loaded term, and I put it in the sermon half-heartedly. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, but idolatry simply, my, my working definition, if you will, that fits really nicely with my sermon, so it's not engineered in any way by myself. My working definition is this for, for idolatry. It's a refusal to see something or someone's limitations. So you've put that thing or that person on a pedestal. It could be an organization even. And you've seen, and you only are choosing to see its strengths and the, the great things about it, but you're refusing to see its limitations and its weaknesses. That's idolatry. And so embracing weakness actually keeps us from doing that because we're, we're embracing not only our own weaknesses and our own limitations, and by the way, we can make ourselves an idol pretty quick, right? We all have that ego deep inside of us. We're refusing to, to just see the strengths and just see all the great things about things. And we're, and we're looking at, we're choosing to embrace the weaknesses and choosing to see the limitations of something so that we don't make an idol of it. And there's a, we do this with a lot of things. And the one, the first thing that came to my mind, and this is near and dear to my heart, is that we, we can be idolatrous with our patriotism. Like I said, I'm, I'm Air Force. I've been doing this thing for 14 years. I've been serving the country for 14 years. Patriotism is a big deal but to me. But if I only profess this country's greatness and refuse to see its sins, it's become an idol to me. Right? We can see that's, that, that, that we can look in history and see that, right? If I only see the good things that happened through the revolution and all the wars and everything like that, and I refuse to see the places that we fell short as a country, it's become an idol to me. Some of us do this with the past, right? Some of us have idealized the past in many ways, right? We, we, we hear it in some of our political parties, right? The make America great again mantra. That's a look to the past as if, if the past is gonna save us. If we could only get back to this some sort of utopian past, some of us, the other side of the aisle does it with the future, hope and change, right? If we could just get to this place in the future where everything will be made right, it's this utopian vision, this idealization of the future. Some of us do that with the present. It's just, we're living for the moment. It's hashtag YOLO, which is a very dated reference, by the way. I said that last service, and I was like, oh man, that makes me feel old. You only live once, right? It's live, live in the moment, live for the now. 
That's, that's, that's just seeing, that's just seeing the, the great parts about now and ignoring its limitations. And just as a side note, by the way, this is a little bit off topic, but just as a side note, we can go the other way with this. So this is a tension we have to hold, right? So we can, we can look at something and see only its strengths, or we could look at something and see only its limitations. If we're looking at something and seeing only its strengths and we're blind to its limitations, that's idolatry. But if we're looking at something and seeing only its weaknesses, we're demonizing it unnecessarily. So we can see this, I'm telling you, every movement, you know this, every small group, every church, every pastor, every leader, every one of us, every community group, we all have flaws. And so we have to hold this tension where we're willing to see each other's limitations. We're willing to see each other's weaknesses, but we're also willing to look beyond those to see that, man, there's an image of God in Aaron Brown that I've just never seen before. There's an image of God in the guy that gave me my coffee at Starbucks. There's an image of God in the, the guy that checked out my groceries that I've never seen before. And maybe he's a little funny looking and maybe he can't talk right, but there's the image of God. And look at the things that he's doing just in the way that he's serving me my coffee or my groceries. That was the second thing that embracing weakness does. It keeps us, keeps us from idolatry. Last one, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time on today, is the last reason why embracing weakness is important is that we, weakness proves that we need each other. Weakness proves that we need each other. Pastor Darius Daniels, I think he's out in Texas, he says this, where I am rich, others are poor, and where I am poor, others are rich. Where my weaknesses lie, someone else's strengths lie, and where my strengths lie, someone's weaknesses lie. Did I say that right? That sounded right. We'll go with it. Aaron's shaking his head. We're going with it. But this is so, if, I mean, if we really lean, I know this is like basic stuff, right? But if we really lean into this, this is so freeing. This life gets a whole lot simpler because I don't have to be an expert on viruses. I can just listen to what they say and do whatever they say. Like, I don't have to go into these Facebook battles with people over the validity of masks or not. I can just say, hey, my, my governor said I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to wear a mask. Great. That's awesome. I don't have to be an expert in everything. That works its way in, in every other facet of life. Like, if I'm, if I'm a lawyer, I don't have to also be a doctor, right? And if I'm a doctor, I don't have to also be a lawyer. My... It's, again, it's basic stuff, but it's so freeing when you get this, that life just gets a whole lot simpler when I don't have to have it all together all the time in every facet of life. Bracing our weaknesses. This is, this is it. There's a, there's a big caveat here, another big caveat here. So conventional wisdom would tell us that when we help someone, when we're, when we're working, you know, maybe it's in our jobs or we're ministering to somebody, that we're doing so out of a place of strength. We're using our strengths to our advantage, right? But I would, I would just put a, a bit of a comma there and say that that's true, but if we are doing so out of our strengths and but also not acknowledging that we too have limitations, we can do a lot more harm than good. What do I mean by that? Well, that's, the, that's, that's when we get into that messianic complex, right? That idea that, I am, I am saving you. Trust in me. I'll get you through this. I've, 
I, I'm strong in this area. You're weak in this area. I'm going to pull you up. I'm going to get you through this. Empathy, Dr. Jim was in our last service. Empathy is one of the biggest, if not the biggest factors for being able to help someone. What is empathy? Empathy, empathy is simply this. I'm acknowledging that I've been there, man. Like what you're going through, I can feel your pain because I've felt very, very similar pain. Where you lack, I've lacked before. And that's, that's how we help, help people is we cultivate that, that feeling of empathy. It's, it's like the difference between the, the self-help phenomenon you know, these like experts that are coming out with all these self-help books and those are great and good, but they don't work as well as something like Alcoholics Anonymous. Why? Because it's Alcoholic Anonymous and, and programs like that are people who have gone through hardships helping people who are going through hardships. There's built-in empathy into the system. There's built-in acknowledgement of limitations and weaknesses and places that you've struggled before that are built into the system. In the, in the former... In the self-help world, I'm playing savior, right? Trust in me, like I was saying before. But in the latter, I'm just a brother or sister helping another brother or sister through a tough time that I too have experienced. That's, that's also the Christian story. Go to, go to uh, Philippians 2 if you have your Bibles. Babe, you can put that up on the screen. By the way, that's my wife back there. I'm not just calling random strangers babe. <laughs> Philippians 2, uh, starting in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So how you relate to each other, be like Christ, is what that first verse is saying. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Christ was God. We know that, right? That's Christianity 101. But what that is saying, he's, he did not consider his equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, verse seven, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ didn't stand at the edge of the pit to pull us out from a place of strength. He descended into the pit, stood next to us in our weakness, in our limitations, in what we, la- we lacked and helped to push us out. And just like he says, in your relationships with one another, have that same mindset. When I embrace only my strength and I, I stand, when I embrace only my strength, I stand outside the pit trying to help people out of my own strength. But when I embrace my weakness, I get into the pit with them. Or acknowledge that I'm probably already there. It's good, Jordan. And we help each other get out of it. This is, the, this is the story of Cain and Abel, right? It's all over the Bible. You guys know the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain slays Abel because he's confused about why God is favoring Abel over him. God comes to, to Cain and he says, Where, where's your brother? Like, what happened to Abel? And Cain's response is, he asks God a question. He's like, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Is his response so? And the implication of the story is, yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, 100%, absolutely, you are your brother's keeper. What happened here? 
Cain could not see, he couldn't, he couldn't see his own flaws, right? He could only see his brothers or what he perceived his brothers to be, and that's what got him to, to murder him. And that's, that's, frankly, is the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I my sister's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I truly my sister's keeper? Are they just like me in every way in the fact that they have strengths and they have weaknesses and I have strengths and I have weaknesses? And then that places a responsibility on me because they lack maybe where I don't lack and I lack maybe where they don't lack. That's, there's, there's a responsibility that's built for my brother and sister in that moment when I acknowledge that I don't have it all together and there will be a point if there hasn't been already where I will need my brother or my sister. Once I acknowledge my lack, my limitation, my weakness, I can see that I need others. And once I can see that I need others, I can see that others need me. In other words, I'm, I am my brother or sister's keeper. I think about this, I tread lightly here, but I think about this in some of the videos that we've seen over the last few months. The thing I have to ask myself when I see a video of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery, I have to ask myself a really, really hard question, which is this, am I my brother's or my sister's keeper? Am I that person's keeper? Am I responsible to that person because of what they lack? And here's the other side of this that's even harder for some of us is that I have to look at the officers and all of the bystanders involved and I have to ask the same question, which is this, am I Officer Derek Chauvin who killed George Floyd, am I his keeper as well? So wherever you sit on this seemingly polarizing issue, you have to ask yourself and you have to look across the aisle and look across that line and say to yourself, am I my sister's keeper? Am I that person? Am I George Floyd's keeper? It doesn't matter what the situation was. It doesn't matter all the circumstances that happened surrounding these horrific events. Two image bearers of God were involved. Two brothers and sisters were involved or more. We have to be willing to look across the political aisle, wherever you, wherever, whatever side you're on, say, am I my brother or sister's keeper? President of uh, Denver Seminary, he used to tell this story. He would preach the Good Samaritan story. And he said he was, the first time he ever preached that sermon, he was actually, it was right around 9-11. For those of you that are around for that time, you know how pretty horrific that whole event was. And he says he's, he's, he's working on his sermon, right? He's, He's doing all his research. He's building his, his sermon notes and everything. And he said he had the TV on, the news was on, and he, there was some images in the news of, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but right after 9-11 happened, there was celebration in parts of the Middle East. And his, his heart was broken. And he watched the TV and he saw this guy who was just celebrating in the streets over thousands of people who had just lost their lives. And the Lord spoke to him that moment, and he said the same thing that Jesus said to the Pharisee that initiated that Good Samaritan story, which is this, are you, who is my neighbor? Right, the Pharisee comes to Jesus and he says, who, well, tell me, tell me, who is my neighbor? You say, love your neighbor, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him the, the story of the Good Samaritan. 
And the, the story of the priest and the pastor who passed by this, this man who was dead and beaten in the street. And the Samaritan comes by, someone who had just, we talked, Pastor Jed, I think, talked about it two or three weeks ago, about the, the, the racial and nationalist uh, conflict that was between the Jews and the Samaritans. And someone they least expect came by and helped this person. And Jesus, is, what was his last phrase at the end of that? That, that guy is your neighbor. That's all I'm trying to say this morning is, who is who, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? The answer is 100% absolutely yes. So last, last part we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on is this question, how, how do we embrace weakness? How do we embrace weakness? And the short answer to that is simply this, together. Together. The more we are together, the more we reflect strength. The more we are together, the more we can make up for our weaknesses. I like to think of the church as a mosaic. This is an illustration that's used a lot when it's talk, we're talking about the body of Christ. But do you all know what a mosaic is? Right? It's, a, it's a giant picture made up of a million smaller little pictures and each picture has its own cue and its, its own hue, I should say, its own hue and its own color and its own, its own, it's incomplete in and of itself, but together it makes up the larger picture of the body of Christ. That's what we are to each other. That's what each local church is in each city. I used to make the joke a long time ago that you could throw a rock and hit a church in Colorado Springs. I grew up in the Northeast, which is a very unchurched part of the country. And I was just culture shocked when I moved out here because just how many churches there were. But what, I mean, think, I used to say that in jest, but what, think about what a beautiful picture that is. The fact that I can, I can throw a rock and probably hit a church in Colorado Springs is an amazing, amazing thing because that is coming together as the mosaic of the body of Christ. How I embrace, how I embrace weakness is that I embrace my brothers and sisters. How I embrace weakness is that I embrace my brothers and sisters. You know that being, you know that being kind, like helping someone is literally the most spiritual thing that we can do? Helping someone, just being a listening ear, helping them get through a tough time. That's literally the most spiritual thing we can do. It's the most worshipful thing that we can do. And it's all over the Bible. Matthew 25 says, you guys know the story. Truly, I tell you, Christ, this is Christ talking to his disciples. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, when you clothed the naked, when you fed the hungry, when you gave a drink to the thirsty, Christ says, you did it for me. First John 2.10 says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Verse 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Helping someone through a tough time being a listening ear, mowing someone's lawn, bringing someone a meal, helping someone with a work project, giving someone great customer service, buying someone lunch, changing someone's oil. These are literally the most spiritual things that we can do. It's shocking to me sometimes how simple Christ made it for us. Mm 
Like literally, just be a listening ear. And you're, and you're, you're, that's an act, a literal, literal act of worship. It's pretty awesome. This is, this is tough right now. I'm talking about being together, togetherness, right? Being a mosaic, being that, that body, collective body of Christ. That's a tough thing to ask of people in COVID. This COVID environment, we're all social distancing. We have this great saying in the Air Force, don't let social distancing mean social detachment. So when we find ourselves, I mean, we're, we're, we're the body of Christ, right? We're Christians. This is our responsibility. When we're, we're going to find ourselves, if it's not COVID, it's going to be something else. We're going to find ourselves in a cultural contest that is not favorable to what we're being called to do. Man, that's good. And so it's our responsibility to figure out how to do that yeah. within the confines and the constraints that we have, Right? So, hey, if I got to use my iPhone to connect with my brother or sister, so be it. But I'm not going to let it stop me from connecting with them. Hey, if I got to jump on Zoom to connect with my book club, then I'm not going to let COVID stop me do that. I am my brother or sister's keeper. So we're going to wrap up here. Aaron, you can come on up. You know, the, the Bible begins and ends with people together. It begins and ends with people together. It's a, it begins and ends with people embracing each other's weaknesses. Genesis, you know, the first chapters of Genesis, literally the only time God calls something not good is when humans are alone. Right? Do you remember he's in the garden and he sees the man working by himself and he says, you know what? It's not good that that man is alone. It's not good that that man is alone. And at the very end, that's the beginning of the book, right? At the very end of the book, if you have your Bibles, pull up Revelation 7. The very end of the book, God is recreating. He's renewing creation. He builds this city and he builds this new garden, this new Eden, if you will. And this is the kind of language that he's using. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, from every nation, from every people, and from every land, lang, excuse me, language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. It's another thing that happens when we get together, when, he, when we get we are willing to embrace each other's limitations is that we see rightfully where salvation lies. It's not with us because I'm stronger than you because we already determined that I'm not stronger than you. I may be in some things, but I'm definitely not in others. So where does it lie then? It's what what they said at the throne of God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Verse 11 says this, all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. This is important. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And strength be to our God forever and ever. That's the counter message to our culture that says strength is the only thing that's important is that strength doesn't lie with me. I'm flawed, I'm limited. 
I'm human, strength lies with God. And together we reflect that strength. Only together do we reflect that strength. That's what communion is all about. You guys can stand to your feet. It's one of the reasons why we come, like why our church has chosen to come to the table every single week. One of the reasons why is communion is exactly what it sounds like. It's communal. It's a celebration of togetherness. It's all of us coming to the table to say, you know what? We're not perfect reflections of the body of Christ, but together we are close to that. And so we're gonna partake in the body of Christ together as a symbol that we all together are the body of Christ. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com. Thank you.